Welcome to the eighth episode of Jamal Valkyrie Season 11 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is the Canadian who does all of his communicating with his hands, mouth, and eyes, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Have you had a busy week? Oh, you won't believe the week I've had. Oh, we we won trivia again yesterday. You know, I think five games in a row. The Thursday trivia that I talked about on the podcast last week, we went again on Thursday. There was just three people in our team, a couple visiting from a small town within British Columbia that I have never heard of before, and another couple. And we were the only seven people in the whole restaurant. So we were the only three teams playing. We won. And then the very next day, the trivia host informed me that the venue no longer wants to host trivia. Something about probably the restaurant and bar making no money off of us or off of trivia night as a whole. Who'd have thought that was going to happen? Yeah, plus they do a $12 lodge night there, which means instead of selling their burger and fries meal for 20 bucks, it's only 12 bucks plus two of the three teams win gift certificates that they put towards a meal that's already discounted for the Thursday night. And they probably, they probably lost money by hosting trivia on Thursday. So that may or may not have put an end to it. And then, yeah, just it's been, it's been wild. I couldn't even imagine you having a crazier week than, than I have. Well, I went to see guardians of the galaxy last Thursday. Oh yeah, actually I'm, couple of my friends are going to that today. It was actually really good. Um, I finished editing last week's podcast, and obviously we were talking about how the only things that I go and see at the cinema is Marvel films and uh, anything like that. And I thought, well, actually, Guardians came out yesterday, and I've got now better to do, so why don't I go this evening? So I went last Thursday evening. It was really, really good. Yeah, it's great that, you know, that, that, that sounds, just on its own, that sounds like an interesting week. I can't think of anything else that's worth mentioning between myself and you. No, I don't think I, I don't think I've got anything else to say. So should we just start the episode proper? Uh, yes. Oh, when I watched the finale of the Mole, when I saw that Lancelot won, because I'm famous for not really talking to the TV or really reacting to whatever happens in a finale. I think this is the first time ever that when Lancelot spotlight lit up, I said out loud, "What." I was like Tyler Denk's mother from The Amazing Race 10 at the end. It's the biggest reaction I've had, and I was thinking, like, this morning when I woke up, Vladimir Putin declared victory. And I was thinking, wow, this is the second most surprising victory just to happen this morning. Vladimir Putin declaring victory first, or second, and Lancelot declaring victory is ahead of that. Obviously, we're being silly. I did go to the finale. The reaction in the press room was hilarious. Because, I mean, in four minutes' time, as of the time of this recording, the Diary of the Mole finale 2 episode comes out. And I say it at the time, and I say it to both Jill and, spoilers, Kami as Mole, that I think in the English language community, there were very few people who were even remotely suspecting it. It was all it was all on Lancelot, probably about 96, 97% on Lancelot. And the really fun thing is, I know for a fact that our friends over at Trust Nobody were completely in a Lancelot tunnel as well. So when Lancelot Spotlight came on, 
I heard them from behind me. And obviously, last time we went to the finale in the press room, I heard Jill cackling when Elizabeth was revealed. Um, I heard them from behind me just go, what the fuck? (laughs) It really made me laugh because I was gobsmacked when Lancelot was revealed as winner. Because even throughout this entire finale, I was like, come on, Lancelot is being so obvious here. It's got to be him. What's just funny, too, is right before we started recording, I was thinking, it can't just be the, you know, 30, you know, 40%, 30%, 30% again for the three suspects. So I went through Twitter, and what was funny is that there were a lot of memes, a lot of them were obviously in Dutch, of just indicating that Lancelot is mole, and then Lancelot revealed as winner in the meme. So I think just, it wasn't just the online English community, I think just the online community period we're all in on Lancelot going into the finale save for Bindles being on Toos and a couple other people but yeah I would say I, I would say it's probably the biggest shocker I can think of in terms of a not not even the mole reveal but I've never seen so many people shocked at a winner reveal I have to give credit to Alex McMillan because they were very gung-ho on the commie train and I did disparage their opinions slightly in the past few weeks going, nah, it'll never be commie. So I take my Stetson off to Alex. Uh, You were 100% correct, irritatingly, and I'm very impressed. (laughs) That's that's a badge of honour you can wear for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of one of those naff novelty sheriff badges, but that's the way we do it. It's funny because with Comfort getting the red screen and then coming back, because when we saw this happen in the Mole Australia with Petrina, that was so different because as soon as she got the red screen and came back, the instant thought for the whole audience, including myself, as well as the contestants is, oh, that means Petrina is the Mole then. Here, it seems to have had the exact opposite effect. And I was messaging you this before, Michael, but... When there is there's a there's an account on Instagram I can't remember the exact handle, but it's the fo- it has the follow the money week to week and they do two separate photos. One is how much of a net gain, how much money the each person has put into the pot, and then a separate picture of how much money each contestant has taken out of the pot. Comfort was consistently the lowest with putting money into the pot. But Lancelot was always in the lead for how much money he was taking out of the pot. So that was interesting to note and could be something to keep an eye on in the future in terms of how the mole can be can go undetected. It's not like the Ruben style sabotages of, oh, I mix up the color or, you know, the these single sabotages here and there that keeps a few thousand out of the pot. Now it's more of just whoever is the mole is just not being, is just not putting themselves in situations to put money in into the pot, rather than actively sabotaging to keep it out. Just like, oh, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna have any MVP moments throughout the season. Yeah, I was aware that, um, I was aware that Kami had the lowest on the follow the money a few weeks ago, but also there was stuff like. There was a theory that in the quadcopter challenge, Lancelot wrote the word mole with the quadcopter. That's the source of sabotage I could see them doing. 
and hidden hint that I could see them doing. So when his light went on, I was just like, oh my god, how wrong was I? How was I in this much of a Lancelot tunnel? And what's interesting, too, I know I'm talking a lot because I anticipate you'll, you have, well, you'll have a lot more interesting information to share pretty much about the whole finale and the whole season, is that going into a final episode, you always want to be looking for things where you can doubt yourself before the final quiz. It's not that fun watching them all if you are 100% locked in on a contestant and not willing to entertain any possibilities, especially when we've seen with the Germany season where where both contestants kept their eyes and ears open enough to where they changed their mall suspect on the very final quiz. Both of them swapped. So as a viewer, you want to do the same thing where you still, even though it's the final round, you could still be wrong. You could get get all the way to final three, and you could very well be on the wrong person. And of course, in the Canary Islands, we also had that bizarre situation where the finalists swapped twice in the in the final episode. Nothing was the norm with Canary Islands. So I remember even during the the TV reporting challenge, with Comfort not being able to use a teleprompter, I was thinking, oh, that's really odd that she's screwing up something that seems really straightforward. And then I was thinking, is Jill just messing with her by saying, oh, I'm going to put a picture of the mole behind you and have it be their own inside joke. That thought crossed my mind too. But then while that task was going on and Comfort was screwing up, I was thinking, well, she's the only one screwing up at this challenge. So maybe she could be the mole and I've just missed it all season. But then Lancelot lowers that damn boom mic and then Lancelot is losing just as much money as Comfort did. And I'm thinking, well, there goes there goes that theory because he sabotaged just as much as she did and then we get into that final uh biodome challenge essentially minus Stephen baldwin and Polly shore and you know we have that that key there that lancelot looks straight up at and just completely ignores and that two spots in two seconds and then lancelot's taking all that time in the boat and even with, uh, what did Comfort do in that Biodome challenge? That Oh, when they had that final hint, that hint, there's that hint of, oh, the mole scored 6 out of 20 on the final quiz. And that, that was revealed near the start of the challenge, that hint. And I was thinking, hmm, 6 out of 20, that's really low in the phase of the game when everybody is spreading, because that was with 7 people left, right? Yeah, with 7 people left, I'm thinking... Well, six out of twenty is really low. Maybe it maybe it really is comfort. And then right after that is when Lancelot was screwing up in the boat, when he wasn't looking for the key. And I'm thinking, well, Lancelot still screwed up screwed up this challenge more than Comfort did. So Lancelot did a great. I don't know if it was intentional on his part, but he did a great job of deflecting a lot of attention that should have been on Comfort. I'm guessing over the past several episodes. Yeah, what I'll say on the 6 out of 20 thing, because obviously I do have a bit of information on that, and uh, I've been teasing people on the Bothers Bar Discord for days about this. But what I will say is that generally, by the finale, we should trust your suspicions. However, in this case, it's not a good idea to trust our suspicions. And I do apologise to anyone who was swayed by me, especially in the past few weeks. I know it's happened maybe two seasons on the trot that people have been swayed by my gung-ho attitude of being in a tunnel for certain people. 
I ignored most of the time, and it's worked out twice for me. <laughs> yeah. It is hilarious to note that I have been to three Belgian finales now, and those three finales I have been wrong, and they have all been female moles. I have never gone to a Belgian mole finale and been correct, which is kind of a hilarious stat now. Yeah, and I've been two for two with when I've gone. It's a good thing I didn't go this time. I got to preserve that streak. I do not envy the guys at Trust Nobody in the slightest, because they recorded their finale podcast in the press room. And I think this sort of a revelation, you need a little bit of time to decompress from watching the episode. Because it was nice for me to be able to watch the episode at like two o'clock or whatever it was, and then have kind of mentally processed it by the time that I watched the actual screening with all the other people in uh, in Kinepolis. But I was chatting to Katya off of giving us information about what Trust Nobody said last week, because she was also in the, uh, in the Kinepolis finale. And I was saying to her, basically, I'm all right with it now because I've had a few hours to kind of rationalize it in my brain, whereas she was just as shocked as I was six hours beforehand or whatever it was. So they recorded it right on site. They saw the finale and then recorded their podcast. Yeah, they were recording it maybe maybe an hour after after they'd watched it, maybe a little bit later than that because of the interviews. How was the reaction in the theater? Oh, I mean, it was wild. I was in the the exact same screen that we were in last time, which was the one with all the friends and family. And yeah, the reaction was pretty, pretty shocking. It was hilarious, I have to admit. So obviously there are bits from Diary of the Mole that I missed out that I thought I'd basically say for you because it'll be hilarious. So obviously flew on Saturday morning, quite liked Brussels Airlines, not as nice as the rest of the Lufthansa group, I have to say. They don't give anything out for free. Yeah, there were certain little things like not giving anything out for free, unlike, I mean, Lufthansa definitely do, Swiss and, um, who's the other one I flew with in November? Swiss and Austrian. Yeah, Austrian is really nice. Yeah, they're all part of the same group, they're all part of the Lufthansa group. I flew with them, well, I flew with Lufthansa when I went to Munich on that surprise trip in 2017, but uh, Swiss and Austrian I flew with to and from Greece last year. And they were really nice. Brussels Airlines give you now for free. They also try and charge you if you want to pick your seat, even after check-in, which worked out all right for me on the way out because I was on I was on row four in the aisle, and I I mean I'm six five. I prefer an aisle seat now in my thirties. On the way back, however, I was near the back of the plane, which is a no no for me anyway. And on top of that, I was in a middle seat, which I was not best pleased about. I got that email when I was just going into. Uh, Kinnipolis on uh, on Sunday. I'm like, you fucks. That's just me. <laughs> While I was waiting at Manchester to get on the plane, um, I was chatting to a Spanish woman and her uh, and her daughter who were also on the flight. And um, at one point, the Spanish woman, who I'd guess was in her 60s, 70s, turned to her, her daughter and quite loudly said, oh, is he allowed on the plane with that many bags? And I'm like, oh god, here we go. Because you know my travel style with this sort of stuff is to Pretty big backpacks. I mean, the the normal laptop bags are just very full. And mm. in fact, the um, the security guy at Manchester Airport did compliment me on my packing skills because he's like, "That is a very well packed bag," and it was. When I landed in when I landed in Brussels, there was two trains an hour to Antwerp, and they were like twenty minutes apart, then forty minutes apart. Got to the immigration queue, and it must have taken like thirty five minutes. Really. That's unusual for Brussels. It's usually pretty quick. I mean, they had two desks on when 
the Manchester plane unloaded and it was all people who didn't have EU passports, obviously. So it took them a while, but they eventually put like four or five desks on because it was lunchtime and then got through, legged it to the train station to go to Antwerp. And I thought, I've missed the train. I'm going to have to just kind of sit there for 40 minutes. Looked at my phone and saw that the next train was actually five minutes delayed. So there's still a chance for me to get it. Ran down the uh, downstairs at the platform and it pulled away just as I got there. <laughs> so I had to wait 35 minutes for that train. I was not best pleased. Then when I was flying back, I was wearing my mole jumper that I did get when I was in uh, in Antwerp, much to Bindle's jealousy. And... Um, the immigration guy in, in Brussels said, oh, are you uh, a fan of the vault? And I'm like, yes, how did you guess? <laughs> but bearing in mind, this was probably about half seven on, on uh, Monday morning. And it was it was a 10 o'clock flight, but because of the way the trains worked out, I had to get up at six in, uh, in Antwerp, get downstairs to trains ground at any breakfast whatsoever, which was meant to start at half six, at like quarter past six, and then sprint to Antwerp station. So it was about half seven, going through immigration. The immigration guy said, oh, you're a fan of the mall. So we were chatting about that. He wasn't shocked that it was commie. So well done you if you end up listening to this. But that was very entertaining. And then, yeah, I was in a middle seat, which I was not best pleased about. And I was absolutely hanging out of my arse yesterday. I was meant to edit the Diary of a Mole episode on Monday. And I mean, I went to see my folks because I went to Costco to get some fuel, get some supplies for Harmstone Heights, then went on to see my parents because I'd not seen them in a week. And mum actually said to me, go home now whilst she's still actually able to drive because she could see how tired I was. <laughs> and I ended up going to bed about half nine yesterday. <laughs> Just crashed. Yeah, I was I was absolutely dragging my heels by the, uh, by the time that I, I got there. So I have a hilarious Twitter notification right now. Cause I went th- so I went through the Twitter memes and then I came across, because I just went through with the, the mole hashtag. There was a Belgian woman, but she tweeted in English about how she took her dog for a walk. And let me let me get the exact wording here. Nine kilometer walk in the pouring rain through the stunning Zunenvoud. The result of said walk in the pouring rain, closely followed by a shower, post-walk food that we had to wait 45 minutes for at Wolf. And then they watched the mole finale. And now they said their batteries are recharged and ready for a new week. And I said, your experience is better than mine. I was stuck teaching at line at 3 o'clock in the morning and then watched the, the mole finale during my break at 4 a.m. Your day leading up to the finale sounds much better than mine. So I just did that to be like, hey, there's a Canadian who watches the mole because that's always a hilarious thing to play online when it's somebody who doesn't know that Flemish mole has that much reach. So then she just tweeted back a couple minutes ago saying, wait, 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 I need context. Are you a Canadian that watches the Flemish TV show The Mole for Fun? Do you have Belgian roots? Why are you teaching at 3 a.m.? I need answers. Should I should I respond to her right now? What, what should we respond with? I am a Canadian who has been a fan of the mole for 20 years. My friend in the UK who I podcast with insisted I watch the Belgian version. Uh, what year was that? 2018 when we started? When we When I caught up on it? Because Mexico was 2018, right? Yeah, we we started podcasting 2018, so I think you caught up 2017. Okay, so I caught up on Argentina, on South and South Africa. We have podcasted about every episode as they have been released since then. Okay. Oh, I should put one slash two. 
and then say, I have no, I am not Belgian in any way whatsoever. <laughs> I have no Belgian roots. Our podcast is RTP Warriors. <laughs> so in the process of having to edit the Diary of a Mole episode, I realized how much I hate the sound of my own voice as well, contrary to popular belief. I've not had that feeling for years, but I've really kind of cringed at some of the uh, the awkwardness that I, I had. <laughs> I obviously wasn't. I was way, I was actually way more comfortable than I was for Vietnam. But yeah, you can hear the nervousness in my voice in parts, I think. Is it because you were doing it solo for the first time with these interviews, you think? Yeah, I did say, I said this to you on Sunday and I said it to you again before we started recording. It didn't feel the same doing it without you being there. Because I think if we'd have split up and interviewed people each, that would have obviously made a lot more content and stuff. But I think it would have just been hilarious to have someone to share the the awkwardness and also the terror of oh shit we're wrong with which obviously didn't happen with vietnam but so how was the chat with comfort then it was good i i sort of suffered from the fact that so the the structure of the day is obviously we saw the finale and then there was sort of a press conference where a lot of the questions could have been asked in a group setting and then you could go over and talk to people as as necessary but the priority was for the video people, for those, which meant that obviously I was kind of sat back a little bit for that. So I was basically running out of time and I had to choose whether I was going to interview any of them particularly or whether I was just going to go for whoever I saw next and I saw Kami next. So I thought I'll prioritize Kami as the mole. She's probably the one we want to hear from most to explain the rationale on the red screen especially. And she was absolutely lovely. She was very charming. I can see why they picked her as a mole. And having spoken to Jill for about five minutes before we actually started recording and then about five minutes afterwards, I understand the rationale a lot more. And I also hate the fact that the mole got a red screen a little bit less. I sort of understand it a lot more than than I did, is the best way to put it. I see. The hilarious thing is when I was walking through Kinepolis... Um, I was walking towards the press room where we where we went last time to try and pick up the wristband or whatever, and I bumped into Lise, and she was like, "Oh, Michael, what are you doing here?" I'm like, "I haven't picked up my wristband," and she, so she led me uh, she led me there, and we were chatting, and she was asking how you were and saying how how sad it was that you couldn't join us this year and all that sort of stuff, and she said, "You'll have to um, make sure you come back next year, both of you." So I'm like, "Absolutely, as long as you keep doing this show and keep inviting us, we'll be there, or I'll be there at least," and then. Jill was talking to the Trust Nobody guys, turned around and saw me and just went, Mr. Harmstone! And I'm like, get in, love you, Papa Bear. <laughs> Let's hug it out. <laughs> so so we, had a, we had a handshake. He was, he was as lovely as he always is when he talks to us and as mischievous as he always is. But yeah, he was saying that you'd sent him an email about Gian last year. So he's sending his condolences. Oh, thank you. Of course, just to be stereotypical, in the press room they did have hot dogs and donuts. Oh, right, the picture of the Arizona donut? Yeah, there were three different donuts that I had that were all very nice, and they were all very uh, demol Arizona-themed, which was fun. Did uh, Ruben make them? I don't know. I knew about the hot dogs before beforehand, because Lise warned me, but um, yeah, I saw people with donuts, I'm like, where the fuck did they get the donuts from? They look awesome, and they were, so I kept taking pictures of them for you guys. Also, I do want to play a little game with you, and you'll probably guess where I'm going to go with this, but who do you think I saw? Uh, 
which contestants do you think were there? And I'm not going to obviously include this season's ones because that's too obvious. Well, I'm going to guess Van Bool was there. Van Bool was there. I was going to go over and talk to him, but he was being mobbed by people for selfies, so I didn't. If if I was drunk enough, you know, I would have just interrupted that selfie session. <laughs> I know you would, but it was with kids. I wasn't going to interrupt. Okay, yeah, then that would have even held me back too, regardless of my drinking. Yeah, this was like, like six o'clock as well. Was there really, actually, that's a question I have. Was there that much alumni there compared to the Vietnam season? It's tough to say because the after party was just for the contestants and their families. For the current ones? Uh, well, I'm assuming the old ones are there as well, but I didn't. I obviously didn't get to go into the after party, so I didn't get as much exposure to the old candidates as maybe we did for Vietnam. Yeah, because I was thinking, I wonder if they have that limitation now, because during the Vietnam season, you would have had only four seasons worth of alumni, so they would have had a lot more space in uh, Kineopolis there. But now that there's been twice as many seasons since then, they have to start restricting as to who's in and who's out now, I would assume. Yeah, I was saying this to Jill, actually, and thinking it, and it did come up on the Diary of the Mole when I was doing my little diary entries, but since I made that journey from my hotel, which was the same one that we recorded at last time, to Kinipolis, we've actually covered four times as many Belgian Bowl seasons. Because we'd done two by that point, we'd done Mexico and Vietnam, and because we went back and did the previous two as historians, because we'd done four since then, we've done eight seasons when... We'd done two previously. Yeah. So it's like eight so it's eight seasons worth of alumni as opposed to four seasons worth of alumni when we were there the first time. So that's a big jump and that's, you know, twice as many people, twice as many family members. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine with that space that they had from the first after party that there that it would be uh there would be too too much room there. Yeah, plus world famous actor Matteo Simone and all his security detail and all that sort of stuff. Oh, was it like a motorcade with Steve Tail? <laughs> I believe he got in the car with um, with the rest of the candidates, to be honest. <laughs> oh, jeez. Way to bring him down to earth. That's going to be an ego crusher. You think you're famous, Steve Tail? You think you're famous? No, you're riding the same car as Lancelot and, and uh, Lisa Lot and Connie and Layla. You're... <laughs> You're not that big of a hot shot yet, boy. <laughs> Any other guesses for who I saw? I know you mentioned Annalise from South Africa, so I'll take that freebie. Did you see Davy? Was Davy there? I did see your boyfriend, yes. He he sends his regards. Really? He didn't remember who it was, obviously. Oh. <laughs> I saw Axel, who was shouting at Davy oh. to go up to the after party. Axel always does something interesting at the finale, so I've noticed. <laughs> I saw uh, Nayla, who had shockingly high heels on for someone who knackered her ankle last year. For someone who is very clumsy in uh, very astonishingly uh, bad ways. Okay. She was taking a picture with uh, with some kids as well as I was walking to the, the screen. Ingrid? Was Ingrid eating any crackers? Ingrid I didn't see, actually. I know this came up on the bingo card, and we are going to get to the bingo card in a minute for uh, the trip to Kinipolis, but uh, I didn't see Elizabeth. One of the bingo squares was Elizabeth doesn't remember who I am and I don't know whether Elizabeth was there. I presume she was, but I didn't see her. Because usually with the two finales we've been to, all of the moles have been to both of them. 
I think so, yeah. Talking of old moles as well, I saw Lenny. He was eating at a restaurant. I know Yuri was at one of the restaurants as well because I saw that on Instagram, but I didn't see him. Mm-hmm. Um, who else did I see? I think that's about it, actually. Did you talk to any of the alumni? I didn't, know because they were all kind of being rushed away to places. Yeah, tight schedule, I guess. What I needed was a, uh, a tipsy Canadian to go up and break the ice with all of them. <laughs> yeah. We got that's that's the other thing if we start interviewing them it'll help. <laughs> they won't recognize you when you're sober. Oh uh, yeah, that's the other thing. Hopefully the hair, the hair is the same. <laughs> Another thing that you do have to seek out and I know it's on the Demol Instagram is do you remember last year there was a weird song before the finale when we were in uh, Palais 12? Was it the same one that kept looping? No, it was like a it was like a comedy duo recapping the season. Oh yeah, those two guys who I have never seen before or since. Yeah, they did another one that was shown after the finale in the Kinipolis screen. And it's on the Demol Instagram. And it's really, really good. But the highlight of it is Papa Bear sings in it. Is he singing a song by Willie Summers? He only sings a few words, but uh, he does sing part of the uh, the song that they do. Which is hilarious. Obviously. Well, I guess I guess uh, if there's if they do another season of Flemish the Masked Singer, we know who to keep an ear out for. And talking of Papa Virgil da Costa, um, we've not done this segment for a while, but um, we've had a little corrections message. Only this one is from uh, a Mister Gilles da Costa. Oh, who emailed me this afternoon before we started recording. <laughs> He said, Hi Michael, thanks for making the trip last Sunday and great seeing you again. It was an absolute madhouse for us later on. I hope you had a great time and that you enjoyed the season. As I'm catching up with some of your episodes, the last few months were bonkers and I've been behind on pretty much everything. Wait, 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 wait. All these years later and he's still listening to our content? Yeah, he did say when I talked to him that he hadn't really listened to much of this season and my first thought was, yeah, that means you've not listened to any, Jill. But apparently he had, <laughs> he had, apparently he had listened to a couple, just not many of them. So he said, as I'm catching up with some of your episodes, the last few months were bonkers and I've been behind on pretty much everything. I'm very sorry to have to debunk pretty much all of the references you and Logan thought were nods to you, smiley face. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. No, not even Yakima. Sorry, they were all purely coincidental. (laughs) Oh, Steve Tao gets brought to Earth and who else is brought to Earth? Michael and Logan. (laughs) Either that or great minds think alike. Or we're just as big movie, TV, or geography nerds as you guys. Probably the latter. To make up for it, make sure you catch next Sunday's episode. Credit will be given to those we deem worthy of it. Send Logan our love. What? We're going to be credited? That was the implication I got as well. Like, are we going to get credited on the reunion for something that we don't no, know about? Like, in the, in the, like are they going to play a voice clip? Is our name just going to be in the credit? Michael Armstrong, Logan Saunders thrown in there? I was, I mean, I would, I'd just gone downstairs to, um, to turn off my lunch and, um, I got the notification through my watch and it just said DM 11, Gilles de Costa. And I'm like, oh shit, here we go. Is he going to blacklist me from the finale for something I've done or said? And then I read the email and I'm like, that last line seems ominous to me. What's going to go on? Okay. I thought it was something I did at the Vietnam finale while drunk, but I thought the statute of limitations made sure that any of my mishaps uh, are no longer held accountable. I was sitting here just going, are we going to get some sort of credit here? Because the only thing I can think of is that the the numbers on the cast images was an actual clue, in which case I'm going to get credited for that. 
or they're going to credit us for mentioning how they fudged the timeline and and lied to us with the newspaper. But that's the only two things that I can think of that we've done right this season. <laughs> we've done terribly. What the hell? Or are, are they just going to humiliate us? Maybe they're going to bring up something we did we were blatantly wrong about. So that doesn't sound like name credits. That sounds like something specific within an episode that Jill will say, "Oh, I wonder if he's going to mention us. Could we be name dropped out loud in an episode of, of, of Flemish television?" I think it would make my life if that happened. I'll be honest. To make up for it, make sure you catch next Sunday's episode. Credit will be given to those we deem worthy of it. Deem worthy? Oh. Does that mean just you and not me, or me and not you? I don't know. It's, it won't be you. You did fuck all that suspecting of this scene. <laughs> well, I had, what about my my last suspect always got executed each week? Yeah, we're going to get to this at the end of the episode, Logan, but I believe you got a duck egg on suspicions. Zero? You got a Zero. At least I didn't get a negative score like season 24 of The Amazing Race. Hate to break it to you, but you got a duck egg. Quack, quack. So the final thing in this crazy bit of admin that's gone on for far too long at this point already is the aforementioned bingo card. So the first square was Comfort gets a question about the red screen, can guarantee that happened. Matteo Simone sighting. I didn't see him personally, but I know he was in the same screen I was, sitting next to Ruben, who was wearing a bow tie, and I wasn't surprised. Ruby the kid, Ruby the bow tie kid. Someone reminds Michael that he's tall. Nope, nobody did that, although I think Lancelot's a similar height to me, so that's probably why. <laughs> Lancelot does the clap clap in the episode or in person. He did that a lot in the episode. Michael runs into Elizabeth. She doesn't remember him. No, didn't see her. Lancelot's wearing a vest. Also no. Papa Bear Gilda Costa gets cornered for a brief interview. Not sure you count it as brief, it was about 10 minutes, but yeah. Mishap at the airport, 100%. Toast has some kick-ass shoes on. No, he was wearing slippers. Cactus sighting, real or fake. There were indeed fake cacti. Hamstone Heights shenanigans while Michael's away. Haven't mentioned that. Uh, there was a guy who was just kind of investigating the path outside my house on uh, on Sunday morning that I got the notification about when I was in uh, my hotel room in Antwerp. Toast has the best English of the final three. Hilarious story and that coming in a minute. Uh, Dit is them all, obviously. At least one person in attendance is wearing a cowboy hat and or boots. Did see someone wearing a Stetson going into uh, screen eight. Comfort's wearing jewel tones in her finale look. Well, she was wearing kind of a green pantsuit, so I don't know. I'm colorblind. Toast is a bundle of energy at 100%. An answer to an interview question is very surprising. Yeah, I'd say that for both of them. Fun souvenirs, 100%. You saw the alcohol pack that I got. I can confirm the glass from the alcohol pack is in the cupboard at Harmstone Heights now, because it did survive the journey. The alcohol did not. I didn't try. The alcohol was 750 mil. There was no way I was getting that through hand luggage. Uh, Devious Jill smile slash cackle, 100%. I even got him to say that he enjoys being a dick to people. Uh, one of the finalists has a bold new haircut or style. Not the finalists, but someone did, because someone was having a selfie with a child when I was walking into Screen 8, and recognised him slightly, but I didn't recognise him because of the the haircut he had. Who? I don't know who it was. I still don't know. Two days later or whatever it is. But he'd shaved his head and had a Davy-style moustache and it wasn't Davy. Maybe it was Thomas? No, it, it wasn't anyone from this season. Oh. So I don't know who that was. Uh, Lancelot's far more charismatic in person. I will confirm he was. Uh, I didn't really speak to him, but he was kind of holding court at the press conference and it was quite entertaining. Comfort gives a cheeky response, 100%. Someone asked Michael a question about the podcast. I mean, technically, if you count Jill and Lise, because they both very much ask me questions about the podcast. 
Uh, I'm going to go to the bottom corner square first, which was Jill Van Buhl answers a few questions he would have done if he wasn't taking selfies with the kids. And the final one that was a bit naughty, and you probably shouldn't have sent me this bingo card beforehand, because the final square was no questions about netmol. And I read that as a challenge. <laughs> so as you'll find out when you listen to my chat with Jill, we did have quite a long conversation about how terrible Netflix Mall was, and how he actually said himself, that he should have been either presenting or consulting on it, which is exactly what we've been saying. He said at one point, oh, I should have consulted on that. They should have got me in as a consultant. I'm like, yeah, 100%. And apparently, there is there a season for another Netmall season? Or yeah. did they back down on it? Well, what the hell's going on there? No, nah, as far as I've heard, they're still persisting. So the one that obviously I need to come back to on that is Toast has the best English of the final three, because this is the final story that I'm going to tell for now. And that is that I was chatting to Lise, who's the press handler, I suppose, is the best way to describe her. She's an absolute yeah. She's an absolute delight. She's one, one of my favourite people in, uh, in Belgian production. Uh, but I was chatting to her when interviews were going on, but I wasn't doing any. And we were chatting about the podcast and about how you weren't able to, to come, but she was asking where you'd been and all that sort of stuff. And Toast walked over, and he looked shocked, I would say, that anyone was speaking English in the room. So um, he kind of joined the conversation and uh, we were chatting about the fact that there's a sizable English language community. He was just kind of perplexed that people were watching it in a country that wasn't the Netherlands or Belgium. But I will say he had very good English. I'm not sure who out of him and um, him and Comfort had better English, but uh, both of them could very much hold their own. Yeah, I've got a full year to really dive into this whole Flemish stuff. Yeah, the problem is if we start speaking Flemish to them, they'll expect it next time. Well, no, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna advertise it. Just so I can overhear. I, I just want to overhear them without them knowing. I can overhear what they're saying. Ah, like most of the Reddit stories. Am I the asshole for not telling my partner that I could, uh, I can speak their language, that sort of stuff? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is 100 percent what I'm going for. Thought so. So previously, <laughs> so previously the <laughs> come on, we've got to start this episode now. It's been like 40 minutes. So previously, the final four went back to the Wild West as Lancelot and Grimm collected the mail for money, but it was Toast and Comfort who brought home the goods. In a showdown for either the last exemption of the season or sending no one home, Reuben shot first, but at the execution he lost his shot, making him the final person sent home. And we begin with live television reports catching us up on what happened last episode, and that the final three may get access to some secret documents. Ooh. And the episode title is, well, you got me, from Million Dollar Baby. It's funny because we just had a Clint Eastwood question in trivia yesterday about which town he was the mayor of. Ah, that was was one of the Californian ones, wasn't it? Yep, it was in California, but what, what's the name of the town? Was it Monterey? Nope. Ah, who was Monterey? Monterey was a famous mayor. I don't know, maybe uh, Joey, Joey off of Joey and Kelsey? <laughs> oh, it, it was Carmel by the Sea. Yep, Carmel. Yeah, I've been there. That's how I know these things. Yeah, did you see anybody talking to a chair? I did not this time. And it is day 18 in Tucson, and Lancelot is making breakfast for his fellow finalists. Because Ruben's not there. Yeah, exactly. He's taking over chefing duties now. Here's some egg-smothered bacon, guys. And he brings the pan to Comfort's bedroom, which is odd. And they also get Prosecco, not that he can open it. I think with Ruben not there, Lancelot may have taken over a lot of the entertainment credentials for me in this episode. 
He was really good this episode. Yeah, I was... Who knew that he would really shine as a character once it got down to three people? And they pull up NBC News Tucson for the first challenge, and Gilles has good news for them. Well, KVOA has good news every day at midday, and it's good news that they will be presenting today. <laughs> Papa Bear Gilles de Costa Dick moment. Yeah, I, I have fantastic news, or rather, this NBC News TV station has fantastic news. Is this is that an affiliate of Veer? Are they like sister sister cable networks? It's so <laughs> delightfully awkward this challenge, but even in the press room. I was cringing inside of myself <laughs> for so much of it. Because it's like they deliberately scheduled it so they're 10 minutes late for the editorial meeting, so they get the editor screaming at them, going, I don't care who's doing it, just pick. Knowing that we were in Arizona, or rather just in America in general, when the woman says, oh, Roberto, why don't you do something on the season finale of that show everybody likes? Roberto should have just paused and said, oh, Big Brother? Well, that's the thing. Like That is an obvious sort of wink-wink, nudge-nudge reference to this being the finale, but it's just hilarious that they were like, we're not going to advertise another show on this network, so let's just say generic season finale? <laughs> and in Arizona, cacti are protected plants, so they require specialised movers. Two of them will be doing a report on a company who are moving their 5,000th cactus, one as a presenter and one as a cameraman, while the other will stay behind to be the fill-in meteorologist. And they decide that Toast will present, Lancelot will film, and as a result, Kami gets left behind. What happened to Larry? The, uh, she said Larry called in sick. Gastro, I think. Oh, okay. I thought I was, I was or at least it wasn't like a personal matter. Then I'd be I'd be reaching out to that news station, say, hey, is, oh, we should totally do that. Reach out to the news station, say, hey, I was watching a Be- Belgian TV program that showed... Uh, the the guy talking about the five thousandth cactus and and the and the woman uh, talking about the weather to cover for Larry who was sick did Larry did Larry recover from his illness please write me back thank you for your time serious question do you think that news report was real or if she was just an actress well I mean a lot of news reporters do play along with certain segments yeah it won't have been that she was just an actress but do you actually think that that was broadcast in Arizona or not. You think that there's got to be somebody in Arizona. Well, maybe not. Maybe there is nobody in Arizona that cares about Belgium. I could see that with the States. If it's a, an Amer- American town in the South, and it, they would just be confused for a bit and then move on with the day, I guess. And nothing super out of the ordinary happened on the broadcast, I guess. Toast said fuck. Well, I, I don't know if that would make the final cut. <laughs> That's what I wrote down, too. He just he just said the f word on American television. That's as bad as Janet Jackson exposing herself by American TV standards. Like I could see them broadcasting it in some form, but I can't see them doing the awkwardness of maybe the live meteorology or indeed Toast saying the word fuck on American television. I like how Lancelot said, "Oh, that was a great take, Toast. Nothing out of the ordinary happened there." And the I was thinking, I wonder because I was when the final verdict was was happening. I was thinking, are they going to fail him for saying fuck on American TV? And then Jill said, No, you are. You got the money too. It's great job. And I'm thinking, he said one of the you know he said one of the words that George Carlin says you can't say on TV. And just from a picking roles point of view, 
obviously if Ruben had survived, there would have been separate people doing the cameraman and the holding the boom, I presume. But if you are the mole, you probably want to be in the holding the boom slash cameraman position because that's where you can sabotage both sides. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I know that obviously they're going to show loads of commie sabotage next week, but she never really positioned herself, maybe with the exception of like the slackline challenge, to be the one who it relied on. That's I think that's what threw us off about the season as a whole, is we have Lancelot in a lot of these key roles, as well as Reuben, but Comfort was just always in her own... She, she wasn't really overlapping with any of the other challenges for most of the season. And that's why that's probably why on the follow the money bits on Instagram, she put in the least amount of money because she wasn't really in that in those high stake opportunities or being in multiple groups simultaneously in an episode. So there are three phases to the cactus patch and on the way to each, their driver will pull up on the side of the road and they will get to see a news fragment and have to say what's next. If they correctly guess, they will go to that phase and be able to report on it for 500 euros. Did you recognize these clips? I recognized two of the three. The only one I didn't that I hadn't seen before was the dog one, but the other two I, I knew I've seen a bunch of times because I love watching those those botched news reporting compilations. I've seen that BBC News one, I think, a hundred times. The BBC News one's very famous. It's always hilarious. There is another brilliant one if you've not seen it which is from BBC News as well, of a guy being interviewed about um, some technology. But it's the wrong guy, because there was, there was a guy who came there for a job interview who had the same first name. <laughs> so he gets brought into this studio thinking that it's his interview and um, has to has to bullshit his way through, basically. It's deliciously awkward. You passed the test. <laughs> I don't think those have that one has gone viral too much on like the overall compilations you've seen uh, that gets uploaded to YouTube typically. Yeah, it's quite a famous uh, one for the UK that one. Uh, but yeah, the the North Korean interview is very famous. The bird on the camera, I guessed it was a bird beforehand, before the options came up, but I don't think I'd ever heard it, and I had no idea about the dog one. Yeah, the dog one was the one I for sure hadn't seen before. So they are wrong on the first one, which was a dog trying to steal the microphone. So miss out on the cats has been dug up. The second one is the infamous kids running in on the report on North Korea, which they get correct and arrive just as the cactus is being moved. And Toast says he never gets tired of that view. You know what I noticed about Toos in this episode when he speaks English is that it's he sounds like Conor McGregor. Does he? A little bit. When he was doing the news report, he said, oh, look at that beauty. But it was in, but it was in an Irish Conor McGregor esque accent. It it cracked me up a bit, just in that one, just in that one segment. <laughs> I mean, he is wonderfully awkward with some of the ones like, "Oh, what a beautiful day in Tucson." This is exactly what I want to see. Or when he's talking to Monica, like, "I've got you in my ear. What more could I want?" It's just, oh. <laughs> it's just a little bit awkward. <laughs> Yeah, you can't say that at news stations today. And Jill talks to Kami through an earpiece and gives her a practice run by explaining how the green screen works, putting her in New York, on the moon, and then projecting a picture of the mole behind her. For a bonus 500 euros, she has to try and work out what location is being projected behind her within two minutes, and there is a sound that will let her know if she's getting, appropriately, warmer or colder. 
and she correctly guesses Mount Everest, but guesses it out of time. For the final clip, they correctly guess that a bird checks out the camera on the live weather reports and can head to the location where the cactus is being planted. And as cameraman, Lancelot heads back to the studio to help Commie, while Toast stays at the cactus patch for a live report slash flirting session with Monica. Toast's report plays, and they earn a thousand euros of fifteen hundred for their part of the challenge. Kami's main challenge is that she has three words to fill in on the weather report, each worth 500 euros, and she can see the missing information on the screen under the autocue, but if Lancelot drops a boom microphone into an orange zone and makes it appear on screen, they will lose 500 euros from their stakes. And she correctly fills in the first word, but Lancelot drops a microphone and they end up with zero euros of 1500, or a total of a thousand of three and a half thousand for the challenge. It's tough to watch the hearing these details when, you know, Comfort messed it up by missing two of the three blanks as well as figuring out that it was Mount Everest just outside of the time limit. Yeah, when she was prevaricating like Lancelot did with the um the final piece of information in the clap clap challenge, that's when I started going, Oh no, maybe she's sabotaging just a little bit. But I still didn't twig it, even though this episode, upon my third watch of it now, is very obvious that Commie's the mole in this episode if you watch it repeatedly. Well, especially when you get told that she's the more. <laughs> in the lead up to it, when you're watching for for hints that she may be the mole, you can definitely see them in this episode. I mean, there's one big one in the uh, in the next challenge, to be honest. So Jill provides them with USB with their reports on it, but they're all obviously quite suspicious of their actions. Lancelot says that Toast is a dude who's watched many videos, so he expected him to be better at the what's next portion than he was. Toast says that Comfort didn't earn any money and prevaricated with the missing words. And Comfort says when you work one-on-one with Toast, there is no room for sabotage. He cannot do anything but his best. He's probably the biggest team player since Lloyd? Out of anyone who's made it to the finale, I should say. Yeah, do you think when Bindles was watching this episode, he was going, oh boy, I'm wrong, Anna. As soon as Commie says, oh yeah, Toast can't do anything but his best, you go, oh no, it's definitely not him then. Well, even this episode, he was the only one that wasn't tied to any loss of money from start to finish. Yeah. Other than not knowing that a dog stole a microphone. <laughs> and I mean, who knew that? That's not as famous a clip as especially the uh, the North Korea one. Yeah. The one that gets me every time with that clip is when she like she gets the two kids back out of the room. And when then when she tries to casually reach reach back to close the door as if she can't be seen on TV. Just close the door like a normal person. She crawls back in. <laughs> she crawls like she's robbing a bank or pulling off some Ocean's Eleven style heist. So it is now day 19 and the last chance to earn any money. For that, they will head to Biosphere 2, which was built to examine the prospects of humans living on Mars by locking eight volunteers inside for two years. They can earn up to 5,000 euros if they manage to find the exit in the next hour, if they resist temptation. This is the last chance to earn money, and also information on who the mole could be. When did, when did they do that experiment? The 70s, I think they said. Yeah, because I was about to say, I remember from first year psychology classes that a lot of these really helpful experiments were all from the you know 50s, 60s, and 70s. And then after that, they can't do those same experiments anymore just because they are extremely unethical in terms of how it plays out. Wikipedia says Biosphere 2 was only used twice for its original intended purposes as a closed system experiment, once from 1991 to 93, 
and the second time from March to September 94. Both attempts ran into problems including low amounts of food and oxygen, die-offs of many animals and plants included in the experiment, although this was anticipated since the project used a strategy of deliberately species-packing anticipating losses as biomes developed, group dynamic tensions amongst the resident crew, outside politics, and a power struggle over management and direction of the project. Yeah, that's not going to be attempted again. And the seven biome areas are a rainforest, an ocean with a coral reef, mangroves, a savanna, a fog desert, and two anthropogenic biomes, an agricultural system and a human habitat with living spaces, labs, and workshops. I assume it's a... Can tourists go through there? Because I don't know what else you would do out there with all that infrastructure there. You think they would want to try and make... Just knowing how museums work in Canada and America that you think they'd want to make some money off of it. Yeah, it looks like you can actually go through it. Apparently the entrance fee is reasonable and the science experiments are truly fascinating. Huh? So yeah, it must be open as a kind of a museum now. wonder if they paid $55,000 for it to be advertised to advertised on Belgian television. One of the wonderful Google reviews, which no one useful ever writes, is the sandwiches are a bit dry, but the root beer is amazing. <laughs> How did that not come up in the episode? Jill DaCosta didn't do enough of his research. It is an amazing facility, but the tour guide treats you like 10-year-olds. So they begin in the rainforest zone, where one of them, Toast, must be pulled to the top of a tree while holding an umbrella. At the top of the tree, he will find two boards, one containing a clue leading them to the next biome, and one containing the clue and information on the mold in the form of an answer to a question from the final test. If he picks the information, it will cost a €1,000 from the stakes of the challenge, and to reveal which one he picks, he must protect the other board with the umbrella, as the one that he chose will have its information revealed by the rain, controlled by comfort. And Toast's hint, if he chose it, was how the mole communicated with the puppet, and that was by their mouth. What would you have done in any of their situations? Would you have been tempted by the piece of information? Well, if I was locked in on Lancelot as much as I was at that point, I think I'd be too confident in not go for the secret piece of information. Because the thing is, usually when they offer this sort of a dilemma, it's advanced knowledge of a question. Yeah, usually it's one out of 30 or one out of 40 on the final quiz that you're guaranteed. Yeah, this is a piece of information that is the answer to a question, and most importantly, it's an answer to a question that you can't necessarily know unless you're onto a particular person by a particular point. Because all three of these pieces of information are not easily accessible. They're not traditional final test questions. No, it's not like, oh, as long as I know who the mole is, I can answer it. It's a specific question if you know who the mole is. Yeah. Because like to know how the mole communicated with the puppet, you would have had to be on to the mole by that point and watching the mole in that challenge. Which is very tough, especially when you don't know necessarily how they're communicating. So the next challenge takes place in the ocean zone. Lancelot is given a rowing boat and must fish out their next clue from a floating boat with two messages in a <laughs> bottle sitting on it. Or maybe a piece of information as well. If he chooses the information, he will find out exactly what score the mole got in the Back to the Future test, which was 6 out of 20, and can deduce from that whether the mole tried to put themselves in the car. He stands up to try and get a bottle, but ends up having to go back to the start to pick up another paddle after he loses the first one. He manages to get his fishing rod thrown in the water, then stuck in a safety line and takes another 10 minutes, but finally gets his bottle. How uncomfortable would it have been for Kami and Toast to be stood there watching him fail for 30 minutes? Because <laughs> that is how long it took him. 
They left the rainforest zone with about 50 minutes to spare, and they left the ocean zone with about 20. Yeah, because Comfort didn't even start the last challenge until they had 15 minutes left on the clock, I think. Kind of hilarious how how terrible he was at this challenge. Yeah, and that's the other thing, is that, oh, I'm going to pay attention to anybody other than Lancelot here, and then you have Lancelot wasting 30 minutes in that boat flailing around, and then they're, they're, then the other two have to say, oh no, we can't really react or do anything to upset him, because Lancelot has a little bit of a short fuse, which makes it even funnier. I think the key thing here, though, is that actually... Out of the three pieces of information they can get, this is the most useful one. Yes, I would say so, because Lancelot would have a good idea of what his own score was on the test. So if the, if he happened to be on twos at that point for whatever reason, and he sees, oh, six out of 20, but I think I only got seven out of 20, then that means comfort has to be the mole. Mm, it does. So the final world is the mangrove world, and they must search for a key there that is attached to ropes. When they find the correct key, Comey can unlock one of two pedestals, the escape information, and also potentially information on the mole. On her second attempt, she finds the right key, and if she chose information, she finds out that the mole sabotaged not one, but two red eggs before that challenge began. Interestingly here, you can see clearly, and Tos even points it out, that she chose the secret info because it's on the bottom of the pedestal. Annoyingly, I did spot it in the press screening, I spotted it again during the actual proper cinema screening, and I still kind of didn't twig it early enough to go, oh shit, I'm wrong, it's Kami. Yeah, it's clear that she chose the secret info. Yeah, it's very, very clear, because you you see it quite clearly in the episode. It's the sort of blink and you'll miss it thing. But then you see it again in her post-reveal sabotage thing, that she did do it. And Toast even calls it out. I wonder if the editor's and especially Jill knew the audience was so zeroed in on Lancelot that they could throw some a detail like that in there where it's, where it's blatantly obvious which one Comfort chose, and the audience is just not going to catch on to it because they're not paying any attention to her, really. Yeah, I don't know. So the final instruction sends him to the lung, a big dome that controls the air pressure in the biosphere. To escape, they have to find a key in the lung and unlock the exit door in the wind tunnel using the clue completely empty the lung, her breath carries it out of the biosphere. Tos eventually figures out that opening the wind tunnel door brings a platform down where the key hangs, and he tells them to keep the door open, but I did spot it on my third watch of this episode that Kami keeps trying to close the door. She does it at least two or three times during this uh, during this segment. And Lancelot doesn't see the key, but Tos spots it and they grab it, and they open the door and escape the biosphere. Jill confirms that one of them chose information, so they were playing for only 4,000 euros. They escaped in time, meaning they earned 4,000 euros of 5,000 for the challenge, 5,000 of 8,500 for the episode, and 27,320 euros of 98,000 euros for the season. I'm glad they passed the final challenge. I like that there's that unwritten rule that the mole can deduct some money from the pot in the final challenge, but not make it so they walk away with nothing. That's always a bit of a low to end a season on, especially when the grand final challenge is usually an elaborate escape of sorts and is frequently has one of the longer... It's the most elaborate challenge of the season, typically, too. Yeah. I mean, it says it all during the finalist dinner where they're like, yeah, I think the mole just took pity on us the last couple of days. Because <laughs> of how terrible our part was. It's like, yeah, they did. 
You're not wrong. <laughs> it's good that the mole, the mole on your season isn't Lenny. Yeah. So they celebrate with the traditional finalist dinner. The group worked because they all found themselves funny. Lancelot was speaking formally at the table because his grandmother could be watching. Seven of the ten of them picked Bryce Stellings to begin with, including all three of them sat around that table, but no one got one after Toast in episode one, and they preferred a good feeling in the group rather than anyone facing the consequences of their actions. When asked to give a score out of ten for how the mole did, Comey gives them an eight, Toast eight and a half, and Lancelot nine. And they do say that the mole has taken a bit of pity on them in the last few days. I wish Lancelot or Tusa said, uh, I give the mole a two or a three. Yeah, a, a solid like one and a half. They could have done much yeah. better. And yeah. and Comey's just there giving him daggers. Yeah, I don't. Th- I could have sworn the mole was trying to put money in the pot with the way they were performing. Oh, I was I was onto the mole by episode one. My four year old niece could have done a better job as the mole. I mean, I followed the money, and the mole did nothing. I sabotaged more than the mole did. The mole should be answering me as the questions for the answers to the quiz. So it is day 20, the final day, and the final test takes place in a cactus patch. From the prairies in the north to the desert where they stand near Tucson, they've been on the road all the time to get to this place, this moment. Two of them as candidates, hunters in nerve-wracking search, and the other as the hunted who was pulling all the strings. Whatever role they played, they've done it brilliantly, but now it's time to find out who played what role. And the crazy twist is, this This was alluded to earlier in the season about how cacti can fall and kill people on occasion. Lancelot's in the middle of this quiz and the cacti just falls on top of him and Tuz is declared the winner by default. I have a theory on that, actually, that I've just remembered that I meant to note down because during Tos's spiel about um, how cacti can live to 200 years and then just fall over and die, I'm wondering whether the reason they put that falling cactus when Thomas drove away is because he was the oldest guy of the season. And it's kind of a, a nudge of, oh, the oldest one's fallen. Maybe maybe Hugo from Belgian Mole is a cactus. He's halfway there. He's like 100 now. He is incredibly old. He was the one mole I didn't see on Sunday. <laughs> Who Who's that alumni in the iron lung? <laughs> So it's time for the final test. 30 questions on the identity and actions of the mole all season long. Whoever knows the most will win all 27,320 euros and unmask the mole in the end. Lancelot says Commie's very caring and knows very well when she needs to say what. She's got an incredible amount of emotional intelligence. Toast misheard the horse's name and also didn't push his button much at the motel. As a mole, you would want to be at the zoo. She can sabotage the bingo easily by giving them free balls. And Toast also lost on the bus challenge by destroying the car and by trusting Reuben. So says Lancelot always goes all out and fails. That's not suspicious. However, he was the one who made the decision in the first challenge very quickly, almost like he knew how long they had taken. He was with Commie on the slack line, but she was just too small to reach the piggy bank. Lancelot's egg disappeared, despite its importance, and it would have been a great mole move to try and get in the DeLorean, as it reduces your suspicions. Commie says that Toast is so charming and playful that he gets away with doing wrong things easily. He's very easily forgiven. Lancelot cost him a lot of money in the very first challenge by rushing in and also cost him Reuben's egg. Toast also cost him money by not taking the exemption at the motel. Lancelot failed to do the tongue twister, despite being very verbally competent. The laptops close and night falls, and whoever's light turns back on is the winner. My next note is just, it's Lancelot? Oh, fuck indeed. Because what I heard from 
Mark from Trust Nobody was just very loud when Lancelot's light went on. Oh, fuck. Which did make me laugh. <laughs> and my my note that I'd written down, aside from my verbal reaction that I talked about earlier, is Lancelot is the winner. And then in all capital letters, holy Jesus. And then Lancelot gets utters the traditional hot Verdona, which we hadn't really heard all season. No, because Reuben got told off by his mother for saying it. You think, and then Lancelot was saying, oh, my grandmother might be watching. So you think he would he would avoid that type of language too, but I guess not. Hot Verdomer. <laughs> he says to Gilles that he mentally prepared to lose, so is utterly shocked. Normally he has a lot to say, but he's speechless. And believe me, from being in the same room as Lancelot for the afternoon, I can believe that people think that he has a lot to say, because he was, as I said, holding court at the press conference. It got to the point where Gilles had to step in and go, come on, let someone else speak. Oh, that's hilarious. Such a contrast to what we saw in the episodes this season. So Gilles takes him in front of the mirrors to find out who the mole is, and it was Commie, and we were very, very wrong. At least at least when it was between those two, I'm thinking, no, 0% chance it's twos. There's no there's no way it's him. Because I even put it, I put in, in my written note, I had, comfort is the mole then, followed by four question marks. <laughs> and she had so much fun deceiving everyone for three weeks and Jill says that if he was wearing one he would take his Stetson off to them why didn't he wear one? that would have been cool I don't know, it'd be badass I was kind of half hoping that there would be um, mole Stetsons waiting for me in the in the room because I 100% would have taken one obviously then we get to listen to Bjork yeah, we do, because it's oh, so quiet Shh. so First things first, Lancelot was asked in the press conference what he would be doing with the money. Cocaine! This is usually the question that gets asked in the reunion by Jill, but the answer is obviously bricks and bricks of cocaine. No. <laughs> well, I'm hitting up the strip club, red light district. He said he's doing the traditional thing of going away with the rest of the cast, but also he's giving a donation to a charity called Medibamba, which was founded by Comfort when she was a medical student and who provide minor medical procedures and equipment to people in Cameroon. I just snooped on Comfort's... I was going to mention that. I have my notes that I snooped on her Instagram right before we started recording. And I thought, oh, it looks like Comfort travels to Cameroon quite a bit. Yeah, she apparently set it up with, uh, with some of her fellow students when she was a student. So it's a worthy cause. It's, and it's not operated by Rocky. It is not. It did make me laugh slightly that a mole winner was donating some of their proceeds to a charity um, set up by another one of the candidates. But yeah, it's a very worthy cause. And Lancelot, to his credit, was doing a lot of promo work for them in all the interviews that he did with the various publications. And in fact, it was asked at the press conference how you spell Medibamba. So all of them were going to be printing it and they have done since. Oh, okay. But sadly, we can't make many jokes about that. <laughs> what you'd want to you'd want to make jokes about a Cameroonian charity? Yeah, let's let's move on to the stuff that's actually going to um, that you're actually going to have silly things to say about because the the big elephant in the room was obviously the fact that Comi got the red screen in the DeLorean challenge, and going into this episode and going into the past few episodes, I was very gung ho about the fact that she cannot be the mole because of that. And she cannot be the mole because the mole doesn't get a red screen and it breaks Belkia law and all that sort of stuff. And something Jill said really struck a chord with me when we were doing the five minute chat beforehand and before he, he said, why don't we actually, you know, 
sit down and have a recording here. I'm like, okay, then I suppose we, we can talk again on the podcast. Don't twist my arm. But what he said was, would we ever exclude the mole from a challenge? Would we ever make it so that a mole could not participate in a challenge? And the key piece of information here is the fact that she didn't know she was getting that red screen. Her reaction to the red screen is genuine. She knew roughly what she was aiming for, so she was aiming for 6 out of 20, just because she thought that'd be maybe a score that would stand a chance to get in the Dorian, but she had no idea up until that point whether she was actually going to get the red screen or not. Oh, so it wasn't just the mole is going to get the red screen, it was the mole is going to get X number of points, and then whatever happens, happens. Yeah, it was played completely straight. Oh, so it's totally different from the Mole Australia with Petrina. They were executing her no matter what, and then bringing her back into the game. Here it was, if a contestant gets below this certain barrier, because we're going to have the Mole blend in with a proper contestant score, then that player is going to get the red screen, and if nobody gets below the 6 out of 20, then I guess then the Mole the mole gets executed. That's a, that's I like that one. I, yeah, I'm good with that explanation. They played it unscrupulously fair. And obviously, if she didn't get enough points to then qualify past, it would have, she still would have got a green screen in that case. But in reality, it was up to the contestants to try and sideline the mole here. And they failed in their quest to do that because none of them actually went all in enough to, to do it. And she didn't know what score she needed to beat Lila. So she could have still been executed, is what you're saying. I mean, technically, yes, but they would have they would have fudged it, so it still would have been Lila going home in that case. They've repl- they just replaced them all last season. They can do it again. They weren't going to do that. That's the only thing they would have done <laughs> if they needed to to intervene on this challenge. But she didn't know she was getting the red screen. She didn't know what score she needed to beat. She just knew that 6 out of 20 was a rough guess on where she'd probably end up needing to be in the DeLorean and be able to do the most damage. That's a pretty high bottom score for that uh, that far into the season. Mm, it is, because, I mean, someone made the comparison that we've had in the past an opportunity like this where it's been at, like, Final 5 and people have scored less than 6 out of 20. Yeah. Zero if you're Yan. Yeah, exactly, that's what I mean. <laughs> Or 5 out of 40 or whatever the hell it was last season, the Canary Islands. Yeah, Yen Kuruman kept surviving up until God knows when with uh, 0 out of 20. So, you know, it's certainly possible. But yeah, she didn't know any of the extra information. She obviously knew who the pitchers were and how much sabotaging she had the prospects of doing, but she didn't know what score she needed to be. And that is the piece of information that makes me significantly happier about this twist. Yeah. Because the way that Jill basically phrased it to me, and annoyingly I didn't record this because it was a very great way of putting it, is that in letting her get the red screen and in not doing enough to sideline them all there, they basically just allowed her to restore the natural order of the execution. Because in a normal execution, Lila would have gone home with her score. It just so happened that they didn't take the opportunity enough to then be able to change the future, really. They allowed the future to stay exactly the same as a result of not doing enough. 
considering that was the lowest score on the quiz, I wonder if Comfort getting the red screen made some of the other contestants not suspect Comfort anymore. I think it probably did. I mean, it worked out beautifully for her in the end. I, I said to her when we chatted that actually it's the best thing she possibly could have done is get that red screen because it turned so many people off her, suspicions-wise. And I suspect it was probably the same in the cast in that a lot of people just didn't suspect her because of that. But at the time, obviously, I was like, nah, they'd never do that to the mold. But the logic that I was made aware of from Jill and from Comfort and anyone I spoke to who was in the know about it made it a lot better in my head. Right. And I know Jill's going to listen to this and be like, oh, why are you still bitching about my twist? I mean, don't do it again. Yeah, they're only going to get, they're only, it's one of those twists that they can only do once. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to get away with it again, but, you know, it worked out nicely for you here. I would say it's put in that same realm as picking the mole right on location halfway or close to the end of the first episode. It's one of those twists where you can get away with it once, but do you need to go to the well with it a second time or wait a long time before you pull it out again? So next time, it's a reunion and everyone returns to find out that it's coming and have the phone ring once more for them. Interestingly, the copy of the episode that we saw did not have the next time trailer in, and neither did the press copy, but it was in the cinema copy. Okay, interesting. But yeah, basically everyone returns to the, the phone room one at a time to pick who they think the mole is, and then they get to see the reveal and um, Kami comes in and talks to them by the look of things. And then presumably they all get together as well and toast her and uh, look forward to season 12, which Jill has said is in the works now. That's official? Yep. Well, he said it on our podcast, so I hope it's official. Makes me look like a liar otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) And one other piece of information that I did get from the the press screening was the fact that Toast was on Commie as well. Oh, okay. I figured... One thing that I didn't include in the diary episode, which I think will make you laugh as well, was my introduction to Kami, because she was taking selfies with Lise as I walked over, and uh, she said hello hello to me in Flemish, and I'm like, hi, I'm going to be your biggest challenge, I'm afraid, because I'm going to speak English at you. And she's like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> I bet you she speaks a lot of languages if she does, if she has a charity in Cameroon, since Cameroon is split between English and French, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I don't think she had any uh, any real trouble with English, being brutally honest. That's why Lancelot was holding the boom mic and not doing any of the reporting. Yeah, as I said to Jill, in relation to him, her English is a lot better than my Flemish. Now we, we always say that. I know we give some contestants a hard time if they screw up one verb conjugation and then we can't get out more than two or three words of Flemish. Yeah, bear in mind that I did skip over the discussion between Toast and Lancelot about whether it's 5,000 or 5,000. <laughs> yeah, I left that one alone. So in our pool, I've already won, we know that. Not in the most dignified way in the end, but a win is a win is a win. The important information is more to do with first suspicions and suspect list, because five people, Natalie, Matt and a Fuzzy Orange's first impressions, and Bindles and a Fuzzy Orange's first suspicions, had comfort at number one, while only one person, Bindles, had her at number nine on first impressions. So Bindles does a, what's known in the business as a Michael Harmstone classic, and gets both first and worst on uh, a first suspicion somehow. A special mention also has to go to Jack, who had the top two in his top two places, just the wrong way around. 
and Matt Spindles in a Fuzzy Orange had a score of 4 with Comfort in the right place. The worst score, however, was 17, which was Sandra's first impressions. And uh, just out of interest, your total score for the two suspicions that were left was 11, and mine was 5. I had Lancelot at number 1 and Comfort at number 4. You had Comfort at number 5 and Lancelot at number 6. Interesting. So between the three of us, we were only correct five times. Bindles was right three times, I was right twice, and you didn't suspect her in your top suspect at all. Nope. Swing and a miss, baby. A big fat zero out of seven for Logan Saunders. And last week, production told us who Belgium suspected after seven episodes. Lancelot was number one with 34.2, followed by Toast on 33%, and Comfort on 32.8. Oh, so they were... That was... That was even. Yeah, as... As Jill said at the finale, I think this is the closest it's ever been on suspicions for Belgium. Well, you can't get much more even than that when top suspect is 34 and bottom is 32. The only way you get it any closer is if it's a three-way tie. Interesting comparison. I think the scores were very similar for um, for Vidum Georgia. Yeah, I was about to say that's the only one I can think of where it was split split across the board. The interesting comparison there, of course, is that both of them ended with a mole reveal involving mirrors. Oh yeah, that is true. And both were fantastic seasons. They were, and both were fantastic moles. And in the few days before the finale, we had another set of uh, suspicions, which was Toast at number 1, 35.4, Comfort at number 2 with 34.6, and Lancelot on 30% in last. Talking of suspicions, and I don't really want to do this because I know I'm going to be so low on this, but it is time to do the live reveal of suspect list results. You miss this with Vidim, uh, when Bindles was very gloaty. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Comfort was the mole. In week one, the mole walked the slack line, not line dancing and telephone line, which was very proud of for the pun. In week two, the mole was on board the train and not building nets. In week three, the mole collected eggs especially handily, rather than blind trust or insight of an engineer. The mole spent their afternoon in week four at the zoo rather than playing bingo. The mole stayed on the ground for the flying challenge, rather than flying the quadcopter or riding in the stunt plane. The mole was in the FBI in the bus challenge. And the mole made the two postcards in the post challenge. The winner of the suspect list for Belgia 2023 is. Oh, it's Breg Fuck. <laughs> With a score of 55 points, it's Nick himself. Even though he put her last on week seven. <laughs> this is a terrible result for everyone involved. <laughs> I got fifth. How? <laughs> I put her last in the last three weeks. I showed Jill the suspect list when we were chatting after the the recording, and he really liked what we've done with the suspect list, and I told Thomas that. But, like, he was mocking me for my my suspicions, and I got fifth. Out of of how many people? About 26. Oh, in a classroom, yeah. That's respectable. So, yeah, it was Nick in first, Brig Bother, then Joseph, then Jordan, then TTS24, and then me, then Jack, then Femker and Sandra in equal seventh, Bindles in ninth, and Jip and Brian the Gizmo in equal tenth. I have also just had a message off of Fuzzy Orange off of the bingo card saying, how dare you ask a netball question? Oopsie doodles! Shouldn't have sent me the bingo card earlier, you know? Quite appropriately, of course, Jan Kuruman is like fourth from bottom. On the overall pot stats as well, they obviously got 27,320 out of 98,000, which is 27.88%, uh, which is actually the fourth highest of the reboot seasons. Fourth highest? 
yeah, fourth highest. Argentina is slightly higher. Uh, South Africa is slightly higher, and uh, Vietnam is much higher. Right. Actually, no, it's, fi- it's fifth highest because Canary Islands was slightly higher as well, percentage twice. Oh yeah. So, have you got anything else you want to say about the finale before we talk about the reunion next week? Uh, no, I think I think we're good. Are we doing season rankings next week? I mean, we can do if you want to. I don't really tend to rank my seasons. I tend to tier them, but I know that's ranking just by another name, but I don't do an official ranking of them. So where does this season, tier-wise or specific ranking-wise, where, where do you think it'll be for you? I know it can change with the reunion when we find out the sabotages, because in Vidim, that's really ascended or descended a season, the rankings, depending on how it really played out behind the scenes. I mean, it's it's interesting, this one, because this episode is the most I've ever seen a Belgian Mole episode, I think. Because I've seen this one three times. I saw it at the press screening, I saw it in the cinema, and then I watched it with English subs earlier, just to make sure I hadn't missed anything. Same as the Vietnam finale, we saw that three times too. <laughs> Vietnam, we only saw twice. Oh, we recorded that same night, yeah. Yeah, we, we did that very late on the uh, the Sunday evening. I would say that this is an A-tier season for me at the moment. So that would be right up there with South Africa, I guess? Yeah, so in terms of the groupings, it's Vietnam and Germany in A+. Then Argentina and South Africa, the pair, now that we've done it as historians... And this one, and Greece as an A tier one. I would say Canary Islands is an A minus tier, just because I feel a lot of pity for them with how it actually landed, and I think the cast was really good and all that sort of stuff. And then I would say Mexico is the B plus tier. I think those would be my tiers as of this episode. There is room for it to move up to the A plus tier, but I think. Vietnam and Germany just had a little bit of an edge for me. Where would it rank for you? Yeah, because I have South Africa at the top, and I think this season is either tied with South Africa or slightly surpassing it. Because I did just watch the finale a few hours ago, so it's a little bit of recency bias there. It's just the whole shock of the ending, and just every episode was really... what There was only one episode I recall us having any complaints about, because it was just really, it was just really strong week to week. Yeah, don't get me wrong, like, an A tier is a bloody good season. We'll get into this next week, but I think Vietnam and Germany have the edge, as it stands. Anything else you want to say? No, I think think we got to save some discussion for next week when we wrap all of this up. I think we do too. So, thank you for listening to our Demolverkia Season 11 recap. We'll be back next week to conclude the hunt for the newest mole in Arizona, even though we know who it is, and also reveal what our 11th season of Vidum recaps will be in the form of this year's historians. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Luxapwacky, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next flavoring.